Welcome to the Later in Life Planning Show with Patrick Colley, brought to you by Keystone Elder Law, right here on News Radio WHP 580. Now, here's your host, Patrick Colley. Hello and welcome to the Later in Life Planning Show. My name is Patrick Colley. I am the owner of Keystone Elder Law, where our goal is to be the shield that protects the middle class from the costs of getting older. Well, what does that mean? What is elder law? Well, what it means is the middle class estate planning and asset protection model. So ideally, it involves taking action well before there is a decline in health, which is so common in the later years of life. But elder law also involves taking action in the middle of a health care crisis, when someone has dementia that's getting worse, when someone has a stroke with lasting cognitive and physical impairments. But it involves action to shield yourself from the costs that come with getting older. If you have a loved one who needs nursing home care, you have all kinds of concerns. You don't know where to find appropriate levels of care. You start to have sticker shock at the cost of it. There are even ways to save money after a loved one has passed away. Keystone Elder Law can build a shield to protect you and your family from costs in each of these ways. Obviously, future episodes of the Later in Life Planning Show will have all kinds of information about this and actions that you can take, resources that you can use. Along the way, you may want to attend one of Keystone Elder Law's weekly workshops. They are online at keystoneelderlaw.com. You can click the workshops workshops tab and register. There are going to be in-person workshops at various locations. Our website has tons of information, articles, videos, all kinds of information on later in life planning issues. But ultimately, you need to do something with that information. Let me tell you why. I'll tell you about Joe. Joe was a client I had in the last year. Joe did well in his career in government. He had a nice pension in addition to his Social Security income. Joe owned this same house where he had lived for several decades. He raised two daughters there. Joe had bank accounts. He had an IRA. He had an investment account. He had a life insurance policy. Joe was not fabulously wealthy, but he did well for himself and was comfortable in his retirement. But all of that comfort was falling apart for both himself and especially for his daughters. You see, Joe had worsening dementia. According to the Alzheimer's Association, which tracks the rates of dementia diagnoses and deaths, over the last two decades, while deaths from heart disease were actually going down by about 7.5%, deaths from Alzheimer's and other forms of dementia went up by 145%. According to the Alzheimer's Association, one out of every three people you see around you today are going to develop dementia in their lifetime. And that doesn't even include the people who will have a stroke or serious injury or some neurodegenerative condition like Parkinson's or ALS or MS that affects their mobility and their ability to live independently. They're going to need a higher level of care. Joe was one of them. And for all the medical advances that we've seen in in recent decades, you know, we have uh, medicine to deal with high cholesterol. We have heart stents. We have all of these medical advances 
allowing us to live longer. But the medical community had no cure for Joe. Once you're on the dementia train, there's no stopping it. There's no getting off the train because there's no cure. There are now medications coming to market that might slow the speed of the progression, but it will progress and it will get worse. So, so here was Joe with dementia that got to the point where he needed skilled nursing care. Joe could not remember to take medication or even feed himself. Joe needed assistance with certain activities of daily living that you and I take for granted. You know, you get up, you have breakfast, you jump in the shower, you get dressed, you go about your day. Well, for Joe, that was at least a two-person job helping him through every step of the way. This is what dementia looks like. This is what the fallout from a stroke might look like. Obviously, this was taking an emotional toll on his family. You know, dementia is a nasty disease where you don't lose someone suddenly or quickly. You see them slip away a little bit at a time. But the real worry that that Joe's daughters had about their once strong father was the sticker shock that came with long-term skilled nursing care. Joe was paying about $13,000 a month to the nursing home. And that's typical throughout South Central Pennsylvania. How long could you afford to pay that kind of money for care that you absolutely need? How long could your spouse survive if that kind of money is going out of your accounts? And meanwhile, your, your spouse at home has uh, living expenses. If you end up being one of the, well, one out of every three people who develops dementia, or if you have a stroke and you have long-lasting cognitive or physical impairments, what is your plan to pay for the necessary care? Let's be clear, Joe had Medicare. Maybe you've heard all about Medicare. There's an open enrollment once a year. Joe did what he was supposed to do. He signed up on time when he turned 65. Maybe Joe thought Medicare would pay for the care he would need uh, when he went to a nursing home. If that's what Joe thought, he was wrong. Medicare is your health insurance when you get past the age of 65. It pays for your doctor's appointments, your trips to the hospital, even surgeries. It pays for acute care. But Medicare is not a long-term insurance policy. It does not pay for long-term nursing care. And this is just one of those quirks you have to be aware of uh, with our nation's health care system. Joe could have had a neighbor on the same street who developed heart disease. Joe's neighbor could have had roughly the same amount of money in savings, the same kind of house, the same car, the same retirement account. But there's a crucial difference between how Joe would pay for his dementia care and how the neighbor would pay for medications and surgeries and doctor appointments. Medicare will pay the bill for the neighbor without any question about how much money the neighbor has. Medicare won't ask if the neighbor owns a vacation property or whether the neighbor helped an adult child with, say, $10,000 last year because the child needed it for some reason. Unlike the neighbor, Medicaid is how Joe and most central Pennsylvanians are going to pay for long-term care in a nursing home. On a long enough timeline, Everybody will run out of money, and then Medicaid is how you pay for long-term care. That's our safety net. But Medicaid asks all of these questions about money and property 
and many more questions. At the end of the day, Medicaid will pay thousands of dollars a month for Joe's care, but only after Joe goes effectively broke. Here's the takeaway. You know, I'm an elder law attorney. I'm with Keystone Elder Law, and I'm telling you, you have to go broke if you want Medicaid for long-term care. If you work with an elder law attorney, you go broke without running out of money. What does that mean? Well, Joe and people just like Joe come to see us if they need Medicaid to pay for nursing home care so that on paper, they themselves go broke, but the money that they've saved for their whole life is saved for their family. I mean, ask yourself, do you know anybody who goes to work every day, saves their money, they're disciplined about their spending, they're tucking money away for the later years of life because they want to spend it all on nursing home care in the final years of their life? I don't know anybody who has that as a goal. Remember what I said at the beginning, though. Keystone Elder Law can build a shield that protects you from the costs of getting older, but it requires action well in advance of a decline in health and action in the midst of a health crisis. With appropriate action, Joe could have gone broke and have Medicaid pay for his dementia care, but his house and his life savings would still be available for his daughters. The story gets worse because Joe didn't just have dementia, which is sad in its own right. Joe never took any action whatsoever. He did no estate planning to be ready for this moment. And this, I've already told you, is a very predictable threat to anyone in the middle class. The cost of care is high, and it is likely. 70% of the population will need a higher level of care. Bill Gates has the same likelihood of having dementia or a stroke as anybody else, but he's not worried about how he's going to pay for it. What about you? You have the same likelihood of having a stroke or having dementia or having some other debilitating medical condition. Are you worried about how you're going to pay for it? Joe never made a plan. And in fact, when I first encountered Joe, I had already met his daughter. His daughter was furious with her father. She was confused and frustrated. She was in tears. She was wondering, why did this guy who did so well in other aspects of his life never make a plan for something so predictable? He never stopped and said, well, maybe I should have a will. Maybe I should have a power of attorney. He did none of those things. After the break, I'll tell you what I wish Joe had done long before he lost cognitive capacity to manage his own affairs. You're listening to the Later in Life Planning Show on News Radio WHP 580. Now, more of the Later in Life Planning Show here on News Radio WHP 580. We're back on the Later in Life Planning Show. I'm Patrick Cauley with Keystone Elder Law. Before the break, I was talking about Joe, his gradual descent into dementia, and unfortunately, his lack of planning for that very predictable event in his life and the effect it was having on his family and and a very crucial uh, financial uh, pickle that, that everybody was finding themselves in. To top it all off, he did no legal planning. He had no estate plan. He just had no plan whatsoever for this very predictable threat that, that the middle class faces. 
In a perfect world, Joe had pl- would have planned ahead, and what would happen is Medicaid would have activated as the, the safety net that we all have to pay for his nursing home care. As it stood, he was paying $13,000 a month. He had a house. He had other accounts that were all at risk of being completely taken away from him and wiped out because of the dementia. Let me explain how Medicaid works. I'll give you the, the quick Reader's Digest summary so that I can tell you what I wish Joe would have done if he had gone back in time and given it a little more serious thought. Maybe that'll provoke some questions in your own mind. Maybe you've seen some people in your life who got sick. They needed a higher level of care. It was stressful for everybody involved. There is a way to shield yourself from the emotional turmoil and the financial crisis. So if Medicaid comes in to the rescue... It only does so by making you jump through hoops that someone using Medicare for acute health care needs does not have to jump through. Remember what I said about Joe's potential neighbor. Medicare doesn't care what property that person owns. They're paying for the surgery. They're paying for the doctor visit. Here's how Medicaid works. You can think of three categories. They're going to look at Joe's income. Because whatever Joe's income is, that's his patient pay responsibility to the nursing home. So if he has a pension, if he has Social Security income, that's just going over to the nursing home every month. Now, that's going to fall far short of paying the entire bill if it's $13,000 a month for skilled nursing care. But Medicaid will pay thousands of dollars on top of, of Joe's income. But that's the easy part. And this is Medicaid for a single person. In a moment, I'll tell you how it works for a married couple. It's actually a little more favorable when you're married. But for Joe, his income goes to the facility, and they move on to the second category. The second category is his resources, the money he has saved, the property that he owns. And you can think of a giant bucket that everything is thrown into, and Medicaid's looking at what are his countable assets for Medicaid. And at the end of the day, he gets eligible when he gets down to just a couple thousand dollars. It actually varies depending on what your income is, but you can just say as a general rule, let's say $2,000 he's allowed to have in his name when Medicaid picks up the tab for thousands of dollars a month. So how do we get from a house, an IRA, a bank account, life insurance, how do we get from all of that to $2,000 if the goal is to save money for the family? Well, there's various tools in the toolbox, but that's ultimately where we're headed. Um, you know, so he he's the IRA would have to be liquidated. He has uh, money in there. He takes it out. There's a bit of a tax hit that he takes, but it's better than paying $13,000 a month. Uh, unfortunately, since he did nothing to protect his house, here's the deal with your home. Maybe you've heard the nursing home takes your house. That's not how it works. What happens is you're actually allowed to have a house. You're allowed to have one car if you're a single person on Medicaid. But while you're in the nursing home, who's paying for the property taxes for your house? Who's paying the homeowner's insurance? Who's making sure that the house is kept up, the grass is cut, and and so forth? Well, all your, I already covered this, your income is going to the facility. So your income isn't available to do that. Maybe if you have daughters like Joe, you say, well, you know, they'll get it in my will. Well, here's the other problem. Not only do you have no income to keep the house up, but at the end of any Medicaid recipient's life, 
Here's another brutal reality that does not come into play with Medicare. If you get thousands of dollars a month, maybe for years, especially if you have dementia, you might, if you're otherwise healthy, live for quite a long time. At the end of your life, the government has shelled out an awful lot of money for your care, and what they try to do is get paid back. They go to whatever's in your estate when you pass away. The stuff you own during your life becomes your estate. It goes through the probate process. And, you know, there might be Verizon looking to get paid back for their last $50 bill. And there's Medicaid with a bill for $200,000 or more. And so if they see a house in your name when you pass away, they say, sell that house. Give us the proceeds of the sale. That's not going to your daughter's. So there's an opportunity for planning ahead and shielding yourself. But generally, we have to get all of the money out of his name. We have a plan where we can give money to uh, the children, and then we, we have a plan that goes with what comes next, which is the third category, gifting. After we figure out your income, we figure out everything you own, and we have a strategy to get you down to a couple thousand dollars to your name, hopefully keeping most of your property in your family, we have to think about gifting. Did you give away anything of value in the last five years before you apply for nursing home Medicaid? And that could be you gave you wrote a check for $5,000 to one child to help them out. You helped with some rent. You helped somebody buy a house, uh, you know, directly or indirectly. Did you give something away? Because the government doesn't want you giving away your money to keep it in the family and then turning to them and saying, well, now I'm poor. Pay for my care. So that I could go on and on for a whole episode about gifting, and maybe I will. But income, your savings, and gifting. And if you haven't done gifting, you're eligible for Medicaid. And in the the second part, we get you down to a couple thousand dollars keeping money in the the family. So with with those ground rules, what should Joe have done? Well, if he had a power of attorney, we could actually get into those assets to reduce what he has keeping the money in the family. But how are we supposed to get into his IRA? How are we supposed to get into his bank accounts? How are we supposed to maybe transfer ownership of a life insurance policy or surrender it and keep the cash in the family? He did not have a power of attorney, which authorizes somebody else to have access and control over what you have if you become incapacitated. It's underrated. It is the greatest tool in the estate planning toolbox. Everybody thinks about a will, but that's really what's important for Joe. A healthcare power of attorney. Who's going to make Joe's medical decisions? That's your opportunity to say, look, if I can't talk to the doctor about my options, ultimately it's my legal right to say what healthcare happens to my body. And if the doctor's trying to explain, here's what we'd like to do, here's your problem, here's the cure, it might have some side effects and some risks. It's up to me to weigh the pros and cons and make a decision. But if I have have no ability to do that because I've had a stroke or I have dementia or I've had a bad accident, I need to name somebody else to exercise my legal right. And then I need to tell them in the living will portion of that planning tool what my choices are for quality of life, especially if it's an end-of-life situation. So a financial power of attorney and a healthcare power of attorney. Joe could have had a will, although for a single person going on Medicaid, a will is less important because we're going to empty out everything he has in accounts and we're going to keep it in the family while he's still alive. 
Here's what Joe really should have done. An asset protection trust. We could have placed the home that he had for decades into an asset protection trust. As long as it's there for five years, that third category, gifting, is no longer a problem. Then it's not in his estate when he passes away, so Medicaid can't come in and say, we're getting paid back $200,000 for the cost of care by selling that house. No, the entire value of the home would be saved for his daughters. Added bonus on the Asset Protection Trust, which I'll go into in another episode, if you just if you pass away never needing long-term care and you leave a house to your children, there's 4.5% of the value that has to be paid to our state government as an inheritance tax. But when you put it into an asset protection trust of the kind I'm describing, you avoid that inheritance tax. So that might be thousands of dollars that stay in your family. This is what I'm talking about when it comes to building a shield to protect yourself from the costs of getting older. Long-term care, even when you're gone, there are opportunities to protect yourself. And for the middle class, I'd say estate planning and asset protection is even more important than it is for the likes of Bill Gates. They're afraid of the IRS. They don't want to leave any more money to the IRS than is necessary. And good for them. uh, They're just following the law. But for you, your entire family could be wiped out of your savings because you get sick. That is a predictable threat. But you can shield yourself from that. You can shield yourself from the inheritance tax. Just an added note, if Joe had had a spouse, Medicaid works even more favorably because it's the same rule. We look at your income, we look at your assets, and then we look at gifting. Along the way, we're making a plan so that at the end of the Medicaid recipient's life, there's nothing in their name so that it doesn't get snatched up by the government. So yes, you might still want an asset protection trust because what if one spouse passes away? But there we have other strategies. I'll go into that after the break. You are listening to the Later in Life Planning Show on News Radio WHP 580. Welcome back to the Later in Life Planning Show on News Radio WHP 580. Here's Patrick Colley. We are back on the Later in Life Planning Show. I am Patrick Cauley with Keystone Elder Law. Before the break, I was talking about some things that Joe could have done to shield himself and his family from the costs of getting older. In particular, he had dementia. He was paying $13,000 a month for nursing home care. He had no legal planning, which was just a mess. So if he had had a financial power of attorney. We could have gotten into accounts, moved money around, gotten him eligible for Medicaid, and along the way we would have saved uh, money for his daughters. If he had done an asset protection trust well in advance of needing long-term care, we could have saved the entire value of his home that he had for decades, the childhood home of his daughters. This was a source of great frustration for his daughters. So along the way, maybe you're getting the sense that this isn't just about money. This is about your legacy. This is about, you know, how do you want to be remembered? Do you want to be remembered as somebody who made everything seamless? That even though you got sick, you made life easier for your family. You made it easier because they they had all the tools to get you through it. They weren't in a financial crisis. They weren't wondering how they were going to pay for your care. You can... Take action ahead of time to make sure they don't go through that emotional turmoil and that when you're gone, they're protected in all kinds of ways. 
I told you I would add a postscript to that story about what if Joe was married and how would Medicaid have worked then? And then you can sort of work back from that to the kind of planning. So if you're listening to this, you figure I'm married, maybe it goes differently. Well, we still look at your income and you're allowed to have maybe a couple thousand dollars. But what your spouse is allowed to have is a little different. Let's say if we put everything in the bucket of that second category, everything you've saved your whole life, and let's say there's 200000 in there. The way it would work is we'd split it right down the middle. 100000 in the second category goes to your spouse. Your 100000 is what has to be turned into just a couple thousand dollars. So if you Google the Medicaid spend down, that's what I'm talking about. You have to get eligible. Half the resources there, half the bucket of everything you own is protected right off the bat for your spouse. Your half is what has to be reduced to a couple thousand dollars. And the goal, of course, is to save 100% of what you have for your spouse. So you might do that by making sure you're, again, if you haven't done holistic planning at that point, I would say to Joe and his spouse, if he had one, have you paid for funerals? We're all going to need one. We're going to need some sort of funeral service or or a burial or cremation plan. And you can actually spend money on that as part of your Medicaid spend down. That gets them a little closer from 100000 down to a couple thousand. Are there any debts? Do you have credit card bills? Do you have a mortgage left on the house? Can we pay that off? You're, you're allowed to invest in yourself and your family. Because one spend-down tool for those who have never heard any of this, this is all news to them. They go into the nursing home. Their spend-down plan is they keep writing checks to the nursing home until all the money's gone. But what does that do for the spouse at home? What does that do for the children? That's just throwing your money away. And that's not to say that, that nursing homes shouldn't get paid for the great work that they do. I'm just saying that this is what the law allows you to do because middle-class families are more susceptible to this threat. This can really wipe out your family. So we have a number of ways to get the money from your $100,000 side over to your spouse. The rules only change a little bit if you add up all the money in the bucket and it's, let's say, 400000 or 800000 or a million. Now, they don't just cut it in half, 500000 and 500000 The government says, whoa, 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 we, do, we don't want the spouse at home to be impoverished, but we're also not looking to make this easy for people to get care when they have plenty of money. So they cap it at about $137,000 for the other spouse. So that just means that your 2000 and the 137000 for your spouse is protected right off the bat, and everything else is subject to the spend-down. Keystone Elder Law, other elder law attorneys, we have the strategies to keep 100% of the remaining money up to whatever you have in that bucket safe for the family. So that's the goal. We're still looking at gifting for the married couple. Now, it opens up some possibilities because you're allowed to make transfers between spouses and there's no penalty. If Joe just started giving away his property to keep it in the family, They add up all the costs of the gifts, and then they come up with the number of days that Joe has to pay privately at $13,000 a month for his care. So that's not how you do it. In future episodes, I'll talk about the, the common mistakes that people make when they deed their house over to their children. That's a double whammy. That's a long term care mistake. That's a tax mistake. 
the do it your do it yourself plan that people come up with in their kitchen. You know, I'm just going to give money away. I'm just going to put it in my spouse's name. I'll explain why these all backfire or just simply don't work. But at the end of the day, it doesn't matter. Joe didn't do any planning whatsoever, so it was extremely difficult to do any of this planning to save money. If all of this is sounding really complicated, if you have questions already, I'm going to encourage you to attend one of our weekly Keystone Elder Law workshops. Look at the videos on our YouTube channel. Just search Keystone Elder Law. You'll see plenty of videos. This will take a while to sink in, but I'm going to keep hitting some of these themes, and I'm going to bring on other people to give you other perspectives, financial perspectives, medical perspectives. We're going to have experts come in and give you the full picture of later-in-life planning. Joe did none of this. Hopefully, you're starting to realize you don't want to be Joe. So, moving forward, what should be done? I've given you a sense of what the basics are. At least start if you are in a position to plan ahead with the, the power of attorney, the health care power of attorney, and a will. If you're married, start asking questions like, what if? How can we protect money even if there's a predictable threat with long-term care? Consider an asset protection trust, keeping in mind that even if you get eligible for Medicaid, at the end of your life, the government's going to come swoop in, and it's not the nursing home, it's the government that says, sell that house, give us all the money. That's not going to your children. You think about predictable threats like the inheritance taxes, and I'll talk about that a little bit more in other episodes. But can you avoid that and keep more money with the people you intend to get your money? your spouse, your children, your family. Joe did none of this. This is how you build a plan for the later years of life. So we're going to go to a break, and when we come back, I'll, I'll build on this foundation for the Later in Life Planning Show a little bit further. You are listening to the Later in Life Planning Show on News Radio WHP 580. It's the Later in Life Planning Show here on News Radio WHP 580. Now, your host, Patrick Colley. We are back on the Later in Life Planning Show. I am Patrick Colley with Keystone Elder Law. You know, I really don't mean to bum you out. I don't mean to tell you all doom and gloom. I'm just trying to give you a sense of where things are headed for most people in the middle class in central Pennsylvania. Joe is just a really tough story to listen to, and that's the reality for a lot of people. As you're hearing that story that I've been telling about Joe getting sick, his daughters are frustrated, it's expensive, everything is lost that he spent his life saving, I'm sure you have some questions. Number one, here's an objection I can imagine people saying, well, that's okay, I'm never going to the nursing home. And I promise you, I've lost track of the number of times I've heard somebody say, just shoot me. Take me out in the back and shoot me. I'm not going to a nursing home, especially if I have dementia. I don't want to live that way. Well, having your child or your spouse commit a capital offense is not a long-term care plan. So something will have to be done. And if you just say, well, I'm not thinking about it, because after all, Everything I've been talking about so far is pretty depressing. It's sad, and but, you know, this is the challenge of getting older. So ask yourself what you want your legacy to be. Are you going to stick your head in the sand and not deal with it? 
because all you're doing there is, is not solving the problem, you're ignoring it, and someone will have to clean up the mess. In Joe's case, it was one of his daughters who really swooped in and dealt with an awful lot of details and probably pulling her hair out, and she was very frustrated. Sticking your head in the sand is not a solution. Saying, take me out and shoot me is not a solution. Maybe you're thinking, well, I have long-term care insurance. I'm going to talk a lot more about long-term care insurance in future episodes, but in my experience working with lots and lots of families, both planning ahead and in the midst of healthcare crises, I'll tell you that I just don't see a lot of people who have it. And we'll get into the various kinds of long-term care insurances. Uh, you know, that is another way to pay for long-term care to a point. Uh, the real value of it, I'll tell you right now, is that it's going to pay for more options outside of a nursing home. So if you're still in the running for long-term care insurance, if you're still in the kind of health where you could get through underwriting, if you can afford the premiums, and there's different ways you can get affordable premiums, if you get it, that's the value, is it's going to pay for care in your home. It's going to pay for care at the middle level of care, say assisted living or personal care, where you live in a community. It doesn't quite feel like a nursing home. It doesn't feel like a hospital. You're going to have more options if you have that long-term care insurance. Maybe it makes sense for you and your overall financial plan. Maybe it doesn't. We'll bring on an expert to talk about that. But if you have long-term care insurance, even the best policies that I see these days aren't going to pay $13,000 a month. So even then, there's going to be a mix of long-term care insurance and Medicaid. And what it does there at that level, at the highest level of care, is it opens up more possibilities for gifting. That third category, which I I said is a no-no because they penalize it, well, If you have a way to pay through the penalty period that they impose, then gift to your heart's content. We'll figure out exactly how much you can give away, what the penalty will look like, and how much long-term care insurance you have to cover it. So there's a lot of moving parts here, but definitely have a plan. So what does having a plan look like? I talked about the basic legal tools, the power of attorney. And let me talk a little bit more about that. It's not just, I got a power of attorney online, I'm good to go. Or I went to the, you know, the country lawyer who practices a little bit in criminal law, a little bit in family law, he handles divorces, and he drafted my power of attorney. I hate to tell you, but either one of those options is probably not going to have the asset protection in it that you need. Here's some homework. While you're listening to the show, or if you're in your car, wait till you pull over, please. But take a look at whatever power of attorney you have. Look for gifting languages. So anything that says something like limited gifting or anything that says the IRS annual exclusion, or if it doesn't say anything about gifting at all, you're not ready. There has to be some indication that you're allowed, you're giving authority to another person to move all kinds of money out of your your accounts. It should say unlimited gifting, gifting with no limit. It should specifically say in order to get eligible for Medicaid. The more language you have in your power of attorney that authorizes someone to move money out of your name, the more asset protection you will have and the more likely you will get eligible for Medicaid without a hitch. If you're listening to this and you don't have a power of attorney, if you become incapacitated, the government has a plan for you. 
It's called guardianship court. We'll have to go and have a medical expert testify about your incapacity. The judge will have to appoint someone to be your decision maker. And then there will be annual reports to the state about every financial and health care decision made for you. Is that what you want? It's an invasion of your privacy at the very least, but my bigger concern is that the time it takes to get a hearing with the court is expensive because you're in a care situation that is expensive. So have a power of attorney and have, have gifting language that allows unlimited gifting, transfers of money in any amount. And the will. Well, the will is not all that complicated, actually, unless you're married. So if you're married and you're thinking, am I covered? Here's some homework. Go ahead and read your will. And I promise you it says something like this. I leave my beloved spouse everything. It'll start out by saying who you are, who your family is, pay my last expenses, pay my last taxes. And then it'll say I leave everything to my beloved spouse. And if my spouse has already passed away, I leave everything in equal shares to my children and it'll name them. Well, that's fine. You can have that. I mean, that's a very common arrangement that that families have, leave everything to the spouse and then to the kids if the spouse has already died. But if what if we use the power of attorney to get all of the money out of your spouse's name because your spouse needs nursing care? Your spouse is Joe. So we get all of the money with the power of attorney out of your spouse's accounts and out of out of your spouse's name into your name. And then you die of a heart attack or in a car accident. And your will says, I leave everything to my spouse. No strings attached. No conditions, no protection. That's a missed opportunity at asset protection. What you want is a built-in trust that says, whoa, whoa, whoa. If my spouse is on Medicaid and therefore not allowed to have much money, more than a couple thousand dollars, then don't leave everything outright to my spouse. Instead, leave it in a trust for my spouse. Use that money to enhance the quality of life of my spouse. If my spouse needs clothing or new glasses or a big TV so they can see it and hear it, well, then use the money left into this trust to to pay for that. And then when they pass away, everything that's left in trust will go to the children. But if you don't have that in there and it goes out right to someone on Medicaid, Medicaid goes away. Now you're back to square one. All of your money will be spent on long-term care and there will be nothing left for the children. That's just a simple, common-sense approach to middle-class asset protection. So we've talked about the fundamentals. You might consider an asset protection trust, even if you're married. One of you passes away, the other one needs nursing care in the final years of life. Can we save 100% of the home? No. The best we can do is probably sell it and then split up the proceeds of of the, the sale maybe saving half, maybe 60% of the value of that home for the child. But you can protect the entire property, especially if the property itself is important to the family. Maybe it's, the, it's been in the family for generations. Maybe it's the, you know, the place where all the kids take their kids uh, to, for a weekend getaway. If saving the property itself is important, then, <laughs> then an asset protection trust is how you do that, how you protect it from long-term care costs, and how you protect it from taxes. Again, does all this sound complicated? We have weekly workshops. Keystone Elder Law offers workshops online. You can watch from your iPad or your laptop from the comfort of your home. 
and learn about middle-class estate planning and asset protection. You can watch a a workshop just on how you will pay for long-term care. In that workshop, I go into private pay options, long-term care insurance, veterans benefits for those of you who were wartime veterans, and of course, Medicaid. I go into much more detail about all of this. I talk about that gifting and make that clearer for people. So I've sort of glossed over it just to give you the concepts. But if you want more information, that's a good way to get it. We offer these weekly workshops. You can go to keystoneelderlaw.com. There is a workshops tab. Click on that and you'll see where you can just click on a button to register for one of these workshops. And I'll be showing up in person if you live in Carlisle, if you live in Camp Hill, if you live in Enola. I have workshops planned in person uh, at the end of January, and there will be workshops maybe in Hershey and some other locations in the coming months. But this is about gathering information so you understand the concepts, you understand what's so predictable, and yet what so few people take action to shield themselves against. So, you know, too many people are like Joe. They do nothing. And these things happen all the time. I would much rather see people come in and do some proactive planning and spend a very little amount of money, uh, you know, with me so that they can avoid paying way, way more to clean up a mess like Joe's. I will, I promise you guardianship is way more expensive than having a power of attorney. I promise you that a crisis plan for Medicaid is way more expensive if you've done nothing to have a power of attorney or an asset protection trust to just make it all easier. You've already protected everything. Don't leave your family in a situation like Joe's daughter. I strongly recommend you start thinking about resources in your life, whether it's a financial advisor, an elder law attorney. We at Keystone Elder Law would be happy to talk to you. Think about funeral planning. You might think that's way off in the future, and maybe it is. I hope it is. But have it, have it taken care of so your grieving family doesn't have to think about that at the last moment. I hope you're going to see the doctor. I hope you're do- taking care of general wellness. Exercise itself could put me out of business if people did it regularly and, and it would have the wonderful effects for their long-term living. I hope to get into a whole lot more of this in future episodes. I'll have experts on to talk about all of this and give other perspectives. I want the middle class to be armed and ready for the challenges that come so that you don't end up like Joe. Again, I'm Patrick Cauley. I'm with Keystone Elder Law. You can check out more information, articles, videos, and so forth at keystoneelderlaw.com. Or if you'd like to uh, give us a call, it's 717-697-3223. Thank you for listening. Please tune in next time for the Later in Life Planning Show.